Hi, it's Martin here, and it's the 9th of October 2018, and I'm in the suburb of Eglinton in Bathurst with a very good friend I met probably 35 years ago when we were teaching in Barrel. Um, hi, Matt, how are you going? Good, thanks, Marty. <laughs> What's the context of the conversation? It's a rhetorical question is... Um, this year, the, the federal government has a joint select committee on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders constitutional recognition. And I've been particularly interested in it. I put in a submission. There were 330, 435 submissions. And I went to a public hearing at the, um, the Redfern Centre for Indigenous Excellence last week, Matt. And I was conscious of the fact that you've had a bit of a career in teaching this had a lot of sympathy and empathy and professional and academic involvement with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And I just thought we could have a chat. What got sounds, you interested? Sounds good. Okay. What got you interested in that space, Matt? Well, look, I suppose if I go back through teaching career very briefly, you know, about 30-something-odd years of teaching, I've never really had two years the same. That's not two years in the same place teaching the same subjects. And although there are teachers that sort of teach maybe English or history for their whole lives and become very good at it, I've been a bit of jack-of-all-trades and master of some, and I've had lots of change and taught at lots of different levels in lots of different places. So to answer the question... All I can say is I got the opportunity to do something different, which was to go and teach remotely in Australia. And it was quite frightening at the time because I'd never done anything like it. But being fascinated uh, to some extent with Indigenous culture and not really understanding anything about it, I thought it was, it sort of came together with that. It's my natural way of keeping on teaching and keeping fresh and keeping growing. So that was going to be that side of it. But I probably didn't have to go to Central Australia to do it. But that was the other part of an adventure. It was kind of like I've never been in that situation before or would see that or would experience in that. And I'm so glad that I did because it's so different from anything you ever experience. You just think it's like going to another place in Australia and it's going to be a bit different, like maybe moving from the city to do rural teaching, but it's really not. It's, it's just like people who might go over and say teach in China in a different culture. It's two different worlds and yet they're in the same place. I've got a bit of insider knowledge here because I remember when you left, it was in the 1990s. Um, Paint a picture for us. What was it like when you drove into the township and tell us the township where it's located? Well, here's the first sign, and this shows probably how naive and ignorant I was, but nothing bad. I was in the town of Catherine because I flew to Darwin and then I caught a bus down to Catherine and that was about three hours away and stayed there in a motel overnight. And the very first thing was there's a swimming pool there and it was stinking hot, but it was in the middle of winter and I was the only person that swam in the pool and I obviously wasn't a local because locals don't swim in the middle of winter because it's freezing, but it was still about 25 or 26 degrees and I couldn't work out why the whole motel wasn't there swimming with me and it was only, you know, the size of a small backyard pool, so the whole pool to myself. 
So I went for a swim. And after the swim, I walked across the road at about five in the afternoon after having a cup of tea. And that reminds me of the cup of tea. I put all the milk in the cup of tea and it burnt my mouth because I couldn't put enough milk in it. That's how hot everything was. The air was hot, the tea was hot. You, I was in the swimming pool, but I was the only person in all of Catherine swimming. And I walked across the road and there was an indigenous guy on the street corner and he was sitting on about five or six step, step, steps up to, I think it was the bank that was on the corner. And as I came across the road, he was just looking at me and he was staring at me. And I was just staring at him because I've seen indigenous people before and to put it into context, black people before, but he was jet black. He wasn't just a black person. It was blacker than I've ever seen. It was like the color black, it was like midnight. So it was a very strange sight to see the only person around sitting on a street corner staring at me. So as I was walking towards him, I just kept looking at him and I wasn't sort of too worried, but it was a bit unusual. And as I got closer, he just kept looking at me and he didn't take his eyes off me. And as I got real close to him, I had this thought. I thought, is he going to kill me? And it's the really weirdest feeling because, of course, he wasn't going to kill me. He's just a guy sitting on a street corner. And I was just walking up his street, probably in his neighbourhood, in his hometown. And I'm the one that's, you know, from outside walking up the main street to go for a pizza. And that was my first real contact. And there was nothing unfriendly about it. We didn't even speak. I just walked past him and went up to the pizza and bought a pizza and came back. But that's how scared I was when I went out there. I thought the very first black person I ran into on a street corner on a late afternoon in bright sunshine might want to kill me. And it's completely illogical, but it's only fear and it's only things you don't understand. And later on, many years later, you know, that... Well, when I say many years later, it was probably only a few weeks later. That's, you know, the furthest thought that I would ever have or ever have that as a recurring thought again because I came to learn Indigenous people understand us much better than we understand them. Wow, I haven't heard that story. Now, you weren't even teaching it, Catherine, were you? No, I still had another between six and eight hours to go to get to the actual township and to get to the school and in the ensuing drive the next day because a person from the Department of Education then drove me out there after the three-hour bus trip down from uh, Darwin we just drove hour after hour after hour and sort of I got into the third hour and thought gee we must be getting close and then the fourth hour we must be getting close and then the fifth hour, and then the sixth hour, and then about the seventh or eighth hour, we finally got there. And it really was like the end of the world, but not like the end of the world as in bad, like a big hole in the ground and, you know, it was all terrible. It just was that far away. And to paint a picture of how far away it really was, my brother lived in Europe at the time. He was working and managing casinos. And at one stage, he lived in Romania. And when I lived out there for a few years, because you'd go on holidays every you know, term or every couple of terms and go back to Sydney, he could get to Sydney quicker than I could. And he lived in Romania. <laughs> what so, was the... so it's a long way from anywhere. So it feels like the end of the earth, but it, I don't know whether it really was or it really wasn't. <laughs> 
And what was the name of the community? The community was called Larger Manu. It's uh, from the Walpree clan. And it's about 100 k's from Wave Hill Station. And Wave Hill Station is that very famous place back in the 60s where uh, Vincent Lignari and his people walked off the land because Lord Vesti, who was a very wealthy Englishman, owned you know the big station there. And they used to pay people in terms of like tobacco and flour and sugar, which were the local indigenous people whose land it was. And they came to realise that, that, you know, they were getting a pittance for their work to help run the station and, and do a good job for wealthy owners. So they just said, until you can pay us fair wages, we were going to walk, we, we are walking off the land. And that's uh, about 100, 110 k's away. So in terms of like famous places in Australia where people actually stood up for Indigenous rights, that's about as famous as it gets, or I'll re rephrase that, maybe as important as it gets. And just to wrap up this 10 minute section, describe your first night sleeping in Larger Manu, is that how you say Larger Manu. Larger Manu, and what were your thoughts? And Larger Manu was the name that, that they changed. They changed it to Larger Manu. It used to be called Hooker Creek Station, which was probably a part of an old station. I don't know the full history back then, but they made it like a mission town that they just, you know, transported and moved people to. Even though it was Walpree country, people came from different areas and they basically, you know, made a township there, but it used to be Hooker Creek Station. So it was kind of like... It wasn't a traditional mission settlement, but it was created along those lines. And as for dreaming, I'm a fairly avid dreamer anyway, and I dream almost every night. And I have some really wacky dreams, and I, I don't know why, but some of them are quite normal, but not too many of them. So dreams come and go, and I wake up in the morning sometimes and wonder what they are. But I remember one dream very clearly, and I don't know whether it was the very first night, but it was certainly within the first couple, and it went like this. I went to sleep at night, and because I was a bit nervous, I was in a new place, and I actually lived in a house that was in the middle of the indigenous area, because what happened was, it's such a small community, the white folks sort of lived together, and the indigenous people lived in their houses, but there wasn't much mixing in between. But there were about three houses, right in the middle of the indigenous area where you could live if you chose to. So I went there, I went right into the heart of it because I thought, well, I can't come out here in the middle of nowhere and then just live with all white people because I might as well stay in the city because, you know, that's everything that I already know. So I went and lived, lived in that part. So I went in the first night and the first thing was, there were that many, the house wasn't very well looked after the grass was about a metre high all around the house. There was rubbish and basically, you know, trash everywhere because it hadn't been cared for. There were rocks on the roof and everything moved. Like there were animals and critters all over the yard and in the house. And because of the pipes and the sewage system, big green frogs used to come up in the toilet. So if you're ever going to the toilet or not going to the toilet, sometimes you'd be met with this huge green frog which is bigger than your hand and it's pretty <laughs> um, concerning or I can't find the right word but destabilizing when you look down or look up and there you know there's a big green frog looking at you so I was a little bit on edge but anyway I was pretty tired from a long trip so I went to bed 
I did go to sleep and I remember very distinctly, even to this day, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And while I was asleep in the middle of the night, this is what I, it's not really what I dreamt. I think it's actually what I felt. I felt like my head in the bed came up next to another person's head, not as in sleeping next to me, but sort of, if you can imagine someone sleeping head to head, but even though my head was at the top of the bed, which is nearly at the wall. Mm. So if you can imagine if you sort of had a long enough bed and two people were sleeping head to head and our heads touched very gently, like not like a, you know, a head clash, but just like if you gently moved over and you, your head um, met with someone else's, and that was an indigenous that was an indigenous person or an indigenous head from one of a better word it's a bit hard to put into words but my i think it was my consciousness met with their consciousness and it touched it and i remember that really clearly and it did because sometime after that i don't know how long and even to this day when i have some dreams and particularly living there i can i I could see indigenous people in my dreams, ones that I knew that were alive and even later ones that passed away. And I've always wondered, well, I've never dreamt of a black person or an indigenous person before then. And so I don't know whether I just have the ability of where I live to take it on board so much I can then dream about those people. But I've always really wanted to ask other people, you know, have they ever dreamed of an indigenous person, whether they've lived in a place or not? And it's not just about the colour of the skin. I'm not getting at that. It's actually dreaming of and seeing another culture on some other plane. So I actually touch minds, as in physically touching heads. That's what it felt like. It felt like physically touching a head. I touched the mind of that Indigenous community and their mind touched mine. And that's how it actually worked from then on in. We were like very simpatico. We were very cooperative and we were very harmonious together there were no issues at all and no one tried to kill me <laughs> Matt thank you so much for that introduction <laughs>